You're listening to This Week in Sports. Here's your host, The Pody. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome. It is Friday, November 22nd, 2019. I'm your host, The Pody, of course, as usual. Okay, um, I hope you guys realize how much I enjoy doing this podcast, how much I enjoy creating this platform and this content for the people, okay, because not only do I have my, you know, regular nine to five job, I also am the producer on the Glorious House of Gains podcast, which that was last night. If you didn't get a chance to listen, go and check that out. Uh, Ray Vegas decided to leave the show midway through, and I don't even know if he's alive, have no idea where he went. That is a true story. Uh, Pretty funny stuff there. But anyway, I've been sitting at my computer basically all day um, producing this show for you. I'm learning how to use Logic Pro X. I don't really need it. There's just some cool extra features that it it has that I'm learning about mixing and this and that and some uh, compression and different things of that nature. Pretty cool stuff. So hopefully the audio quality, you you will hear that. Uh, Maybe you won't hear so much of the P's and the S's. Uh, That's what I'm going for. Just some more crisp audio, almost like you are sitting next to me in a room and you're listening to me, whether it's, you know, on your headphones or in the car, as most people do listen to podcasts in the car, you know, or just through your, your, your cell phone speakers, your iPhone or your Android device, or maybe even through an Alexa device or a computer laptop speaker, whichever, whatever the case may be, I'm hoping that this audio sounds as good as ever. Um, so I'll, I'll be interested to see what, what, what you have to say once you consume this and once you finish it. So yeah, I'm really tired. I have a headache. Um, I get up usually around five 30 in the morning. It's been a rough couple of days. Okay. Uh, my fantasy team is, is in the toilet right now. And I'm actually very nervous if I if I somehow um, lose these next two games, I could miss the playoffs after basically sitting in first or second place the entire season. couple bad breaks have not gone my way, so uh, we'll get into that a little bit later. But I think we are going to start with college football action. There's some big news out of Alabama Crimson Tide. Their prized quarterback, Tua Tagovailoa, was injured horrifically in a freak accident at the end of the first half of their game against Mississippi State. It was a rough blow. It was going to be, according to Nick Saban, his last series of the game. They were already up like 38-7. to I'm going to play the audio, and then basically I will go over all this. Well, the audio basically goes over everything that happened. So essentially, Tua Tagovailoa is going to miss the rest of the season. It was a freak injury, as I just dis- disclosed okay he dislocated his hip and broke his nose all in one play as he was tackled throwing the ball away uh, a two-minute drill at the end of the half okay um there was um, immediate concerns that this was going to be similar to the Bo Jackson career-ending hip injury that he suffered however that was quickly dispelled the injury like I said it occurred at 
basically the last cup the last two minutes of the first half. Okay, he had to be carted off the field. He was screaming in pain. He did undergo successful surgery on Monday morning in Houston. Okay, um, but before I finish that up, I just want to play that qu- that clip for you right here. So here is the Tua injury. And looking for more in the final three minutes of this first half. Comes out throwing. On the run. Pressure from behind. And that's where Nick Saban is thinking. Where's Mac Jones? He's down. And Tua's down. His helmet came off. This is exactly what you did not want to see happen. Okay, so that's the injury there. And then here is, it's going to cut to uh, Molly McGrath here. She is explaining exactly what happened and how he was carted off the field. Sometimes as a coach, you just got to listen to your gut. And I think Nick wanted to take him out. Yeah, Steve, you saw Stuart Tungavailo was carted back to the locker room. He was screaming in pain as medical training staff had to pick him up and carry him off the cart. Uh, he is going for x-rays right now, and the first report is that it is his right hip, not his right ankle that's injured. So then it continues with Molly McGrath interviewing Nick Saban at the end of the half, uh, asking him about the injury and why he was still in the game. Tell us about Tua Tungavailoa. Well, he hurt his hip, so I don't know anything else more than that. They took him in to look at him, so we'll see what's happening. That was going to be his last series. We were going to do two minutes before the half with him just for practice. And, you know, of course, we got to block him better so he doesn't get sacked, but too bad. It looked like Mac Jones was warming up to Tua Lobby to stay in. No, no. We, we, we were just we were going to put Mac in, and then we said, well, let, we'll let Tua do two minutes before the half just for practice. And. You know, I don't worry about players getting hurt, but certainly don't want to see anybody get hurt, especially him. Thank you, Coach. Thank you. So back to that surgery that he did have on Monday. The um, surgery, the procedure went as planned, and he is resting comfortably. Tua's prognosis is excellent, and we expect him to make a full recovery. That was a direct quote from Alabama's team doctor, Lyle Kane. Okay, Um I believe I read that they estimate the recovery time to be about three months, so that would put him out for the season. If he is able to make a full recovery, which is what they are saying, then it's going to be very interesting. I mean, great for him because this was a very scary injury. Thought it could possibly be career-ending, like I said, with the Bo Jackson injury, thought to be very similar. But here is the biggest question that I have moving forward. Uh, Does Tua come back for his senior season? Because his draft stock now is going to plummet. He's going to go from the, you know, the tank for Tua with the Miami Dolphins and all that number one pick. He is going to definitely drop. I think I heard some analysts or some draft experts predict that with this injury, he is now a low shelf, late first round or second round pick. So if he decides to come back to college, uh, that would be an interesting take as well. I, I so I don't know where this is going, but it, but it is very very interesting nonetheless. So we'll have to wait and see how his recovery uh, goes, and in the coming months how that is progressing. But uh, I wish him the best. Alabama now though it, they are in jeopardy of missing the college football playoff. I think for the first time since it was implemented, because you know they're gonna have to go with their backup Matt Jones, and um, yeah, it's gonna be interesting to see how how they play moving forward and if they're able to win the SEC championship. So, uh, yeah, something to keep in mind. 
Okay, moving forward and moving right along, we're going to stick with college football, obviously, and we're going to talk about a, another scary uh, injury that took place in the Georgia-Auburn game. So Georgia gets the victory in this one, 21-14, but there was a play along the sideline that was Again, very, very scary. It was tough to watch. It just you didn't know the status of of exactly what happened for for a long while there. So basically, let me break this down. Late in the first half, Georgia running back Brian Harrion. I think he caught a pass um, in the flat out of the backfield, and he was running up towards the sideline, and he f- he flew out of bounds, and. There was just no avoiding her, but there was a female photographer who was taking pictures. Sometimes you get lost in the moment. You can't see what's coming when you're looking through that lens, and she got plummeted. He ran her over, and unfortunately, she was knocked completely unconscious, much like we saw with uh, Mason Rudolph uh, about a month ago. Eventually, they were able to identify the woman as Chamberlain Smith. She was, in fact, a student photographer who works for Georgia Athletics. Luckily, though, she regained, eventually regained consciousness, and she was transported to, I believe, a local hospital, East Alabama Medical Center. She did tweet on Sunday that she had a concussion and some bruises and that she will be at home resting for the next several days. But like a champ, she plans to return to the sideline as soon as she can. So avoided major injury there. So thank God she's okay. Um, the The players were visibly upset, too, when it happened. So I'm sure they're they're... You know, especially the running back there that that knocked her out. I'm sure he is totally relieved and, and um, you know, can can put this to rest now because you know you just feel terrible if you cause some serious injury or something to that effect. You know, obviously he didn't mean to do it. So glad that she's okay. Okay, so yeah, not much else there from um, from the college football end of the games, really. So we'll just go over um, the CFP. Well, in fact, there was there was some stuff to talk about. Uh, I, I put a parlay out there. I know I put this last episode out on Saturday just before the Rutgers game. Unfortunately, yeah, I know. I was super confident, and Rutgers screwed me. I, I, I don't believe it was Rutgers. It was obviously Ohio State. If you watched that game, Ohio State just did not play well enough on defense. They were sloppy. They fumbled a punt early. That was a huge 14-point swing. And yeah, so um, I, I'm I'm not too happy about that. I mean, Ohio State, they did their job. They, they in, in, on the offense, in fact, they, they did um, go to the second teamers, second stringers with Shuganov, uh, I think early in the third quarter there. And they put up the points. They scored the 56. The spread was 52 and a half. They, they hit it by three points. Okay. So I needed 53. They got 56. They just somehow allowed Rutgers to score 21 points. Only the second team to score 20 points against Ohio State this season. So just one of those fluky games. So um, yeah, just nothing I could do about that one. But I'm not worried at all. I'm up you know, I'm in the I'm in the green as far as my bets go against Rutgers this season. Uh, the other game that I predicted, uh, I had Penn State, and unfortunately, that was my 
that was my first leg of a three-team parlay. I got the other two legs, and uh, stupid me decided to go against, I believe, what did I go against? Uh, Michigan, and because um, I was scared at the last minute. I was like, you know, these rivalry games, it might not go the way I think it's going to go, but Michigan just destroyed Michigan State. And then, of course, was the Baylor game. I thought it was ridiculous that Baylor was getting 10.5 points at home as an undefeated as an undefeated, you know, top-ranked team against another good Oklahoma team. But man, the Big 12, there is no defense played in that conference whatsoever, and it's why they probably will have no chance at winning the college football playoff. So uh, not too bad with my picks there, but let's just quickly go over the rankings because there's some interesting points here. Oh, and then, of course, the Minnesota game, which I so eloquently predicted that they would lose to Iowa. That was my big upset pick of the week. Okay, so um, yeah, so this, this was the third installment of the CFP rankings that was officially released on Tuesday. You had LSU and Ohio State remaining at the top two spots. They were followed by number three, Clemson, number four, Georgia, and number five, Alabama. So nothing changed from one through five. Oregon and Utah at six and seven, followed interestingly enough by Penn State at number eight. I say that because Penn State, they lost to Minnesota, and now this week with Minnesota losing to Iowa, they have Penn State ranked ahead of uh, Minnesota. So a little bit interesting there, but that's usually how the, how it works. It's what have you done for me lately. They're not going to credit Minnesota with the win over Penn State, being that they just lost this week. So that's usually how they justify that. Okay, uh, then you have Oklahoma. They jump up to number nine after, like I said, the big come from behind win over Baylor. That was just an unbelievable game. They were down at, I think, 31 to three or something to that effect. And they came all the way back and won that game. Okay. So yeah, that's going to do it basically for your college football playoff rankings. Uh, I'm not going to go over much after that. I think then Minnesota uh, is there at number 10, I want to say. So yeah, we've got, we've got a game on tonight. Nothing crazy. You've got the, uh, couple big games this weekend where is oh Ohio State Penn State obviously is where uh, college game day will be so you can catch college game day Saturday at 9 a.m. that's at Columbus Ohio obviously for Ohio State Penn State I don't I don't view this as a close game whatsoever I think the line is at least 17 from what I saw between um you know between those two teams the number two team in the country obviously versus the number you know eight team in the country um so yeah that game is going to be the game of the week if I could find it here I don't know why I can't find it no that game's at 12 uh tomorrow so look out for that obviously uh Ohio State big favorites there and I think that uh, barring any uh, crazy, you know, divine intervention, Ohio State is going to win the Big Ten and go to a CFP uh, for what seems like the 10th time in a row. But the, the the interesting thing here is Minnesota, even though they have that that loss, they just lost to Iowa at home, you know, at Iowa. That's a tough place to play. Good defense, stout, you know, front. And, and uh, you know, they don't make a lot of mistakes. But Minnesota is the only team realistically that can um, make the college football playoff by winning out. Because if they play Ohio State in the Big Ten championship game and they beat them, they will be certainly be in the CFP. So uh, yeah, P.J. Flex, 
you can you can bet that he is going to have his team ready. And that's one of my uh, other picks this week. I've got you know Michigan State is getting twenty and a half against Rutgers, and it's a, it's up to twenty one now, so they have to win by twenty two. It's a little bit scary. It's a lot of points. Michigan State just coming off a blowout to Michigan, embarrassing loss. So I think that's going to help them. Mark D'Antonio, you know he's been there a while. Maybe the juice is running out. You know he squeezed all he can out of the Spartans. But I think that they will turn it around. They win these next two games to finish up their season. They're bowl eligible. So they are playing for something. Rutgers would just, you know, the couple wins. They're a two and eight team. And I think that they have a very good chance. Uh, I'm not going to bet as much as I would normally on this game because I'm just a little leery because I haven't seen Michigan State much. And all I know about Michigan State is that my dad told me that they're supposed to win the Big Ten and they're four and six. So I don't know if I could trust a four and six team to cover a 21 point spread, but it's Rutgers. And I think they will fall back to reality, which is they won't be able to score like more than three points. Okay. So you've got then Alabama at Western Carolina. That's a 12 o'clock game. Just going to be a little bit interesting to see how they play, uh, you know, responding without two. Uh, they should be fine. Uh, you've got Michigan and Indiana, nothing crazy there. USC is into the rankings now, I think, for the first time this year. They might be, I think they're the only four loss team that I saw get into the rankings. You've got Georgia and Texas A&M. You've got Baylor, who's dropped to number to, to 14 now. They will they will play Texas. That's no easy, uh, easy, easy breezy uh, game there for them. You've got uh, Wisconsin hosting Purdue. You've got LSU, Arkansas. You've got Cincinnati, Oregon, uh, Arizona State. Yeah, it's interesting because I haven't watched too much of the Pac-12, but you've now got Oregon at number six, and you've got Utah at number seven, two nine and one teams. Of course, you got Justin Herbert, Utah. You know they've got the mobile quarterback and a very good running back. It's going to be interesting to see because I don't view the Pac-12 as a powerhouse really. It's between the ACC, the Big Twelve and the SEC for the most part. So it's going to be interesting to see if the Big 12 and the Pac-12 could say, hold on, wait a second, you know, don't forget about us. Ow, I just hurt my hand for a second there. Ouch. Um, adjusting myself in my chair here. That hurt. Okay, so, and then you've got a um, couple teams on by. You've got Clemson and Florida this coming week. So I think I beat the drum on, on, on the college football um, aspect of this whole thing. So, uh, yeah, we'll take a quick break and we'll be right back. What's up, everybody? We are back. And I forgot to mention it at the top of the show about 25 minutes ago that uh, I hope you guys like the new intro. It's just something I was experimenting with. I'm trying to find some cool music, some intro music that's out there, some free stuff, obviously, and uh, some cool beats, things like that. That's why you heard uh, something sort of new. It's one of the anchor uh little loops, if you will, or uh, like background music that I that's a couple seconds long there that I just played at the beginning of this. But yeah, hope you like that that new little intro. I thought the music was pretty cool and whatnot. Um, so yeah, we're going to talk college basketball now. I don't think I said that at the end of the uh, first segment here, but there's one quick note that I want to talk about in college basketball, and I swear I'm about to sneeze right now, and I don't want to have to edit that out, so let me do the old, like, plug my nose or hold my breath or something for a second, but no, um, 
we are going to talk about uh, a serious allegation or situation that has finally unfolded, and I think we've got it for the most part resolved, but there is one stipulation that goes along with this whole James Wiseman ruled ineligible. Um, it came out, what, at the at last week, I think he played through it with that little injunction he got, and it was kind of confusing. And what the heck was going on with that? Well, that's why you listen to this week in sports because I break it down in full detail in the simplest of terms for you right here. And here we go. So uh, the NCAA came out with a new statement on Wednesday. James Wiseman, the, obviously the the big time center, the freshman for Me- University of Memphis. Okay, he is a projected top, top, top tier. When I say top tier, I mean top five, top ten, more than likely top five NBA uh, prospect here that will most likely be a top one, two, or th- you know top three type of p- player. So he has been suspended twelve games. And here's the kicker. Here, here's here's the part that I just love that the NCAA just doesn't know how to help themselves. And whether it's ruling a, a player ineligible in, in the case of one of the Hauser brothers, Tom Izzo was not too thrilled about that. Or uh, I think that came out like yesterday as well. Uh, uh, yeah, yesterday maybe uh, he was he was talking about that. I think he resigned from some board over at Michigan State that had to do with all that stuff because the, the, I, I, there's just players all the time, whether it's basketball, football, baseball, what have you in the college ranks and players try to transfer for various reasons to be closer to their mother that has cancer that might be dying in the case of what I believe was a Coastal Carolina player uh, transferring back towards, I think, the, to Virginia Tech. I think that was a football player. He was ruled ineligible. So basically, when you when you transfer schools, more than likely you have to sit out a year as part of you know the process to become eligible. But a lot of times, if there's extenuating circumstances, they will give you you know a way a pass on that, and then you could be eligible immediately. And there's just so many instances where, that make national headlines because the NCAA deems a player ineligible you know, for a transfer request to play immediately when it's like they're not trying to cheat the system or anything. They are simply trying to be closer to a sick family member or just whatever. That's an example. But anyway, this doesn't have anything to really do with that. I kind of digressed on that. But basically the kicker to all of this is that, well, okay, hold on, hold on. Rewind skirt. Okay. So this is exactly what happened. I, I detailed it. I outlined it um, on the previous episode. Penny Hardaway, Anthony Penny Hardaway is the head coach at Memphis, okay? He was not always the head coach at Memphis. Before that, he was a high school coach. And, excuse me, James Wiseman, okay, was in the process of moving with his family to attend this high school that Penny Hardaway was coaching. So what Penny Hardaway did was he gave his family $11,500 to help them move, moving expenses. There would have been no issue here, except then Penny Hardaway went to Memphis to be the head coach, which is his alma mater. The issue there is that he has previously donated a million dollars and on occasion uh, other amounts of money to the University of Memphis, therefore deeming him a booster. So this is what this is what caused this whole ordeal, this whole mess. So now we know Wiseman must sit out 12 games. Not a big deal really, right? Well, the problem with that is now they're 
also, in addition to that 12-game suspension, he must now donate that exact amount of $11,500 to a charity of his choice. The kid is a college freshman. Where is he going to get $11,500? If they didn't have that kind of money to move, what, a year or two years ago, where is he going to come up with that money as a broke college student? Like I said, he's a top overall prospect, maybe a number one pick, maybe a top five pick, okay? Top 10, more than likely. But he hasn't made any of that NBA money. Now, the, the, the weird thing is they didn't put a time frame on this, so we don't know if maybe he can wait until uh, he does get drafted and he does get that first NBA check from a team um, or from an agent, and then he could just choose whatever charity of you know of his choice you know that he pleases. But um, otherwise, if there is an expiration on this, the NCAA can't expect him to pay this. So what's he going to end up having to do? Some booster is going to come out of the woodwork and they're going to pay this off for him. Exactly where these players get in trouble and exactly the issue with the NCAA. And guess what? The NCAA is going to wash their hands of this. And if he pays it through some booster, they're not even going to care because they've dealt with it. This is the problem with the college world, okay? they do- And he can't use his likeness or his image or anything to make money. He can't go to the local, uh, you know, Ford or Chevrolet or, or, you know, dealership and be in a commercial because that has not been put in place yet. That law has not been passed fully yet. And that's not in place just yet. So yeah, it it throws and adds a whole new wrinkle into this mess. And it's just like, why? Okay. I get the fact that they're trying to do a good thing here by having him donate to a charity and whatnot, make something good out of something bad per se, but uh, yeah, he doesn't have the money NCAA, so what? You're going to be waiting a while for him to pay this, or he's going to have to pay it through illegal means. So it's just a bad look, and and, uh, I don't get how that they could come to terms on these sorts of things. It's just these, these, these suits, these big wigs behind closed doors, it just never seems to make sense ever. Um, so yeah, that was really the big thing that I wanted to, to push across to you guys in, in terms of college basketball. Uh, we also have this weekend. So I talked about how Kentucky, they lost, uh, to, uh, they lost the clunker, you know, uh, last week. What was that on? Um, that wasn't Friday. I th- I want to say that was on Thursday, right? No, that wasn't. I think it was last Tuesday. Uh, yeah, they lost to Evansville last Tuesday, and then they backed that up with almost another like shocking loss. I'm trying to find it here because it was. Um, I think Utah Valley. My dad had told me that. I think I remembered it because none of us had even heard heard of. Um, of Utah Valley before. So it's like, yeah, Utah Valley, they beat them by just eight points. And, you know, Kentucky was just ranked number one after beating, you know, Michigan State at the, you know, early onset of the season. So very, very interesting for a John Calipari team to to have some some duds of games. I mean, they're lucky to have won that game, but yeah, just something to keep an eye on. I think they'll straighten things out, but yeah, just just something I wanted to point to point out because they are playing uh, right now against Mount St. Mary's, in fact, and they're only up by three, about four minutes left to go in the uh, first half there. And then some games throughout the weekend, you've got Seton Hall, their number 13 ranked team. They'll play a 0-4 Florida A&M team tomorrow. You've got Virginia, just unbelievable defensive team there. They're playing a 5-0 UMass team, so that could be an interesting one. I mean, they should win, but you never know. UMass 5-0, not bad. And then you've got Memphis at four and one, 
excuse me, playing uh, Ole Miss. You've got VCU and Florida Gulf Coast tomorrow, and then you've got Gonzaga and CSU Bakersfield at eight. So, you know, most likely you haven't transitioned yet into college basketball. I'm not feeling it yet. I can never get into college basketball at the beginning of the year, uh, you know, the season when college football is still going on as well as, you know, the NFL because my Saturdays are I'm locked in on the college football, you know, the eight o'clock games, the college game day type games on ABC, that sort of thing. I'm locked in on that and, you know, I'll have to wait a couple months till the college football season is over to get my college basketball fix. Okay, so uh, yeah, that's going to wrap up the um, college basketball segment or part two uh, of uh, this show. And uh, okay, so we're going to take a quick break. And then coming up on the flip side, we are going to get into the NFL. I'm going to talk the Miles Garrett uh, fallout. I am going to talk about the Colin Kaepernick workout, because if you guys remember at the end of the show, we were ramping up. I finished the show at about three o'clock last Saturday, and that was just about the time that the Colin Kaepernick uh, workout was supposed to get underway. I will tell you all about it and exactly what went down, because the workout did not not go accordingly. So uh, yeah, quick break and uh, we'll be right back. The MVP front runner, if anybody else got to say something different about that, then come see me. I'm right here in Beemore outside the bank. If you got an issue with that, come see me. I'm about that. Big trust. Woo woo. Lamar Jackson in the flesh. Yes, sir. Big trust. Oh my God. Okay. So that is Mark Ingram uh, last Sunday uh, as he took the podium to introduce to him, to the world, excuse me, the MVP front runner, Lamar Jackson. That is awesome. I wish I could be introduced like that every single day, every single week when I am doing this show. And it is, you know, it is fitting that I stick it at the top of the NFL segment there because that's some cool audio and he really uh, believes in his guys. So uh, yeah, he's not wrong. Lamar Jackson is at the top of the front uh, of the MVP race right now. And I think it is his to lose. It's very interesting for me to say that because, you know, he was the last quarterback taken in that draft two years ago, the 32nd overall pick, I believe. I think the Ravens uh, drafted back into that round so that they could select him as the predecessor to one and only Joe Flacco, whose career is sputtering out of control in Denver now. He's hurt and he's going to miss a lot of time. So I don't want to digress too much. So uh, yeah, let's just dive right in because this is going to be, you know, a this is going to be the longest segment as it usually is during the NFL season. There is a lot to break down. There are two major issues that we have to talk about. But first, we are going to start with the Broncos, who I just happened to mention. They have had a very rough season thus far. Joe Flacco, John Elway brought him in, thought he was going to be like the stopgap, okay? They took Drew Locke in the second round. He's been on IR, hasn't panned out, don't even know when he's coming back. They've now got the kid Brandon Allen that's been their quarterback, you know, the guy that had to stretch his fingers just to make it into the NFL. Not not too bad, hasn't played horribly out of Arkansas there. He was making, I think, his second start, got the upset win a week ago. So now they uh, are going to Minnesota, the Broncos, and somehow, some way, much like the Minnesota Vikings did a year ago at home, losing to the Buffalo Bills in one of the biggest upsets in the last century, I believe, they found themselves down 
20 to nothing at the half. Yes, the Minnesota Vikings that I have said all offseason, that I have said throughout the season, starting with the Giants game, really, that they have to make a statement win and they have to turn their season around. And I I said in the offseason, you could quote me on this, I believe I, I, I said it in the Glorious House of Gains uh, podcast on my Sports Minute. I said that I love the Minnesota Vikings this year. I think that they can only get better, and I believed that they were a playoff team. And yes, they're playing like it for certainly. Um, so yes, they're finding themselves down 20 to nothing, and this one is all but over. But guess what? It's nice when you're playing the Denver Broncos who continue to fail at closing out games. They might be the worst team when it comes to closing out games. They've lost three just heartbreaking games, you know, at late at the very end in the fourth quarter. They just blow those fourth quarter leads. So like I said, up 20 to nothing at the half. It was uh, just an unbelievable comeback for the Vikings that started, you know, four straight touchdown drives to start the second half and they end up winning 27 to 23. It was the first time in five years, which is a span of 100 games, including the playoffs that an NFL team won after trailing by 20 or more at the half. Oh my God. Yeah. It's just, it's crazy to think that they were able to do it, but you know, Kirk cousins, Dalvin cook, all pro right there. They were just doing everything that they could to get back in this game. I believe it was, they were, so they were down 20 to nothing. Then I I want to say it was like 23 to seven and they just kept fighting. And the toughest part for the Broncos though, with these tough, you know, these losses in the fourth quarter and right at the end is that they had three straight pass attempts into the end zone over the final 10 seconds. I mean, they were down there in the red zone. These weren't Hail Marys by any stretch of the imagination. They were within, you know, I think they were inside the 20. This was the red zone we're talking about. And the Vikings, a staunch defense, they came up huge and they stopped them three straight incompletions. That's, you know, no small feat. So kudos to the Minnesota defense because although they made the comeback, the Broncos did what they had to do, got drove back down there and they had a chance, um, but they just could not get it done. And to make things even worse for the Broncos, I watched a video of this, but their fullback, Andy uh, Janovich or Janovich, he injured his arm so badly on a catch out of the backfield that CBS refused to show a replay of it. Uh, they're not going to get Kevin Ware ever again. Obviously, that's the kid during March Madness for Louisville who broke his leg and the bone popped out of his uh, of his shin bone there. Uh, they showed that replay, which was a mistake, so they don't want to ever do that again. But yeah, Janovich, he or Janovich, he uh, dislocated his elbow, needless to say, and it was uh, ugly. And I. Ooh, it gave me the goosebumps and it was uh it was hard to watch when when I did I went on Twitter and I was able to see that but yeah just from you know from bad to worse to even worse I mean their season is just going <laughs> so uh hey my my buddy uh is a Broncos fan you know who you are ex Denver fan X but uh yeah it's he's got his nuggets at least there's that so he can't complain too much right Am I right? Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. So, uh, that's, <laughs> that's, that's been the Broncos season. And I thought the Jets were doing a bad job, but at least they're losing in blowout fashion on a lot of games, not these close nail biters. I'd rather lose the blowouts than lose by, uh, you know, uh, a last second field goal or lose when I have a 20 to nothing almost happened with the Cowboys had a huge lead and, and then, you know, blow the game and lose it, but haven't had that happen just yet. 
Speaking of bad teams, uh, let's talk about the Redskins for a quick second. There is one team that is not only worse than the Broncos, but they're worse than probably the Bengals as well. I mean, they have a win, but it was barely a win against the Miami Dolphins. And this team, can I just say real quick, one thing I wanted to get off my chest. It has been weeks since I placed a bet in the NFL and won. And I had the horrible, horrible uh, loss with Rutgers on Saturday that I needed a win. And I haven't, I don't do parlays much, but I said, you know what? Let me just throw out a parlay. I threw like 10 bucks on it because I hate doing parlays because they never hit. But I was so confident with the Jets getting one and a half on the road as a dog with that FedEx field home crowd, which is non-existent by the way. Okay. So they have no home field advantage. The crowds there are, are just, I mean, it's, it's awful. Okay. Nobody shows up to these games, so you could eliminate that. But the fact that the jets coming off a big win, okay, you know, They've won two in a row. Now, obviously, they they did win this game, but they beat the Giants, and the Redskins haven't shown us anything. They made Dwayne Haskins the starter. He didn't look good in Week 9 against the Bills. So it's like why... I, I could not fathom that the Jets were a one-and-a-half-point underdog, and I'm mad at myself that I didn't go all-in on the Jets just because it is the Jets, so I threw them in there with a parlay. Well, will you know, I did a four-team parlay, and a couple of those games were absolute nail-biters. Actually, three out of the four were kind of nail-biters. The Saints kind of pulled through uh, late, so that wasn't that was never in doubt, really. But the, I had the Cowboys and the Patriots, and those were nail biters till the end. So yeah, thank you, Redskins, for sucking. The Jets look the best they've looked all season. Back-to-back 30-point games. The Jets now have three wins on the season, and all three wins have come against the NFC East. Just I, I that's how it happens. Uh, I I can't explain that for the life of me. But yeah, they only they they won three games against the NFC East. The only team in the NFC East they did not beat was the Eagles, and that was one of the games that uh, Sam Darnold missed, okay? So yeah, the, the the Jets, this was all Jets all day long. This was never in doubt. Um, so yeah, that's really awesome. Uh, for the Redskins though, this is bad news bears, okay? they This loss was so bad that the fans were begging for Dan Snyder to sell the team. I mean, he's not a popular owner as it is, but this was like kind of the, the last straw. Uh, bef- also, they set a record, a futile record, uh, but they finally broke through and scored a touchdown in the fourth quarter. I think that was the Darius Geis like, uh, screen pass that he took to the house or whatever, um, but it, that was a touchdown. They're I think they got two touchdowns in the fourth quarter uh, to get it to a 17-point final. But, uh, yeah, they they had a 16-quarter touchdownless streak, which was a record. So, yeah, I mean, futility at its finest, folks. Okay? And then, um, so like I said, back to my parlay real quick. So I had the Jets. I hit on the first leg there at plus one and a half. The next one was the Saints at minus four and a half. And everybody's telling me, oh, no, you know, the the Tampa Bay uh, Bucks are going to get into this game. It's going to be a close divisional game. I'm like, dude, the Saints are coming off their worst loss probably in a decade against the, the you know, one in seven Falcons. They're not going to lose this game. And although Jameis, you know, 
turned into Jameis and turned the ball over left and right. He did bring them back late in this game, and it was kind of it was kind of close. But then uh, they lost it at the end. He threw a, a, just a terrible interception, and the Saints won me that one. The kicker, the one that saved my behind, was thank you, Matt Patricia. This is why the NFL and why sports is rigged, one hundred percent. So you had the Cowboys up late in this game by two touchdowns. Okay, I believe it was yeah, two touchdowns. And the Detroit Lions, led by their quarterback, Jeff Driscoll, it's why I took the Cowboys. Uh, I think they were on the road by seven and a half. I needed them to win by eight, okay? That's a tough one to do. Well, the Detroit Lions, with about three minutes or two and a half minutes to go, they score a touchdown. There might have been like four minutes left. They score a touchdown, and all they have to do is kick the extra point, and it's a seven-point game, and I lose by one point, and my parlay is done because you have to obviously hit all legs of the parlay. You can't get three out of four. You have to hit all four or all three or all five or six, however many that you uh, parlayed. Well, do you know Matt Patricia decided to go for a two-point conversion? It made absolutely zero sense. What? So then you're up, you're you're down by six, so you can then somehow get the ball back and then go win with a touchdown and extra point. Apparently, they said that the you know the odds of them winning if they made the two-point conversion go up. But guess what? And thanks to Matt Patricia, they went for the two-point conversion. They did not convert, and lo and behold, I win because the Cowboys win by eight, and I covered the spread. Something similar happened last year when I did a 14 parlay in the playoffs with the Seahawks because their kicker got hurt. They had to go for a couple two-point conversions that they converted and just weird, wacky, twisty things. That's why parlays are so difficult and why I don't like to necessarily do them. Yes, you can bet little money to win a lot, but it's very uh, you know, it's very few and far between when you actually do win them. And so, yeah, I got super lucky on that. That was the third leg of my parlay. I was like, please, did I, I hope that's it. You know, I don't want to have to sit here. And then I f- didn't realize that the Patriot game was um, the late game a- a- in the four o'clock hour, I believe it was. And I had to watch that nail biter and watch the Eagles go up 10 nothing in the first quarter. But luckily they thought that the uh, an NFL game is just one quarter long because the Patriots uh, scored the next, you know, 17 unanswered. And the Eagles had a chance towards the end. They threw a couple of heaves towards the end zone. And luckily... Luckily, there was a fourth down incompletion in the end zone um, that could have was almost caught, uh, and they win by seven and covered. I think it was like a five and a half point spread or something to that effect. So yeah, I hit all four and I won like 136 bucks, and it made up for a lot of the money lost on that Rutgers game. So now we could actually get back to the reporting because let me check how many, we're 13 minutes into this segment. That's not too bad. So um, I'll keep it going. We'll talk a little Jimmy G. He had another big day, Jimmy Garoppolo, quarterback for the 49ers. If you don't know who Jimmy G is, as Michael K likes to say, Jimmy Gorgeous. He's a little uh, jealous of those good looks. He, um, they almost lost the second game in a row. They're playing division rival Cardinals, obviously coming off their first loss of the season to the Seahawks in overtime. Um, Um, I know all too well about that game. I'm still having nightmares about it because I lost my fantasy matchup. If it didn't go to overtime, uh, my season would be totally different. And now I'm sputtering, you know, in the wrong direction and trending in the uh, really wrong direction. Okay, so uh, yeah, he 
found himself. They were down a couple points here late in this game, and they were driving in the fourth quarter, and he hits Jeff Wilson on a 25-yard go-ahead touchdown over the middle late in the fourth quarter, and they ended up uh, holding on. They gave That gave them the lead, and then they got the ball back. They end up winning this one 36-26. Garoppolo finished with 424 yards and four touchdowns, and the Niners, of course, moved to improve to 9-1 and one to maintain that lead over the Seahawks in the NFC West and maintain that top spot in the NFC overall for that first round bye. Okay, I'm going to jump into the Miles Garrett thing right here. I don't know if this is kind of in order or not, but but um, yeah. So at first, you know, Miles Garrett had the hearing on Wednesday. We didn't hear anything until yesterday. Apparently going into this meeting, well, after the meeting on Wednesday, we had heard the rumblings were that it was a precedent-based argument on on the part of Miles Garrett and his camp. Uh, basically, they were arguing that Antonio Smith got two preseason games plus one regular season game for swinging his helmet at Richie Incognito in 2013. Uh, so basically, there are, excuse me, their argument was, well, if he got only one game essentially or three games, um, even six games it is too long. Uh, they, that, that, so that was their argument. And it's kind of, I mean, it's not a terrible one, but of course, um, that wasn't as violent as this one. Um, I, you know, we're not talking about that play today. I don't remember it that well. So that says a lot also, and we're in a different day and age where there's more cameras. You know, I know it was just, uh, you know, uh, what, f- uh, six, uh, six years ago, but still a lot changes, you know, a lot can happen with the racial, div- you know, tension and divide in this country right now. So yeah, um, he gets indefinite suspension upheld. And what's interesting about this is that, uh, that came out. So that was their, that was their argument. Okay. Then we found out yesterday, that's not the only thing that, Miles Garrett used in his defense. It came out that Miles Garrett, in fact, told the um, appeals judge or appeals officer James Thrash in this closed meet closed door meeting that Mason Rudolph, okay, said or used a racial slur or epithet, i.e., basically calling him the N word. This is a huge bombshell dropped. Okay. Mic drop. This is an absolute, um, you know, crazy allegation or accusation on the part of Miles Garrett because it comes a week after the fact. Okay. Because when this occurred that night, when he got suspended, he never said that this is what happened. If that were the case, he should have said, I uh, totally apologize for my actions. They were totally ill-advised. I don't know what got the best of me, but I will say this. Mason Rudolph used a racial slur, and that is unacceptable, and it doesn't excuse my actions, but it kind of gives you an idea of why he did that. And so if that is the case, then yes, I can sort of understand. It doesn't justify what he did, but I, I get it now a little bit. But the NFL investigated it, and I'm sure they're going to continue to investigate it. They said there is absolutely zero evidence of this, and his indefinite suspension was upheld. And like I said, the uh, decision was made by appeals officer James Thrash, who is a former NFL wide receiver, mind you. So he did play in the league. So it's not just some old white guy in a suit, you know, making this decision. For those of you that might have thought that, 
Okay, so this means he will be suspended without pay for at least the remainder of the 2019 season. He will have to meet with the commissioner's office before being reinstated. And I think he also um, was fined like maybe forty five to forty seven thousand dollars, something like that, or in the 30s, something like that. But um, also, uh, what's his name? Uh, Marquise Pouncey, Marquise Pouncey of the Steelers, who was involved in this defending Mason Rudolph, seen kicking and punching uh, Miles Garrett. His suspension got reduced from three games to two games. So, um, yeah, there is that. He will, though, however, miss the rematch game with the Browns. So that's coming up in one week. Here's the thing. Here's the problem I have with the Miles Garrett thing. How I just said that he waited one week to use this defense, right? Because we all know Josina Anderson came out and said, I can see this coming out, that he said that Mason Rudolph called him a racial slur because I've never seen him act like that before and whatnot. Okay, Mason Rudolph has vehemently denied this 100%. First of all, why would his teammate, who is black, Marquise Pouncey, why would he come to his aid and defend him? Okay, right, that's another point. And then the best part about this is that shows to me that he's making it up is the fact that he says he did not expect this to come out. He thought this was behind closed doors. He could say this in confidence and it would never get leaked. So that tells me he's making it up. And now that it came out, he is feeling the heat and the pressure. And if I am Mason Rudolph, okay, initially he said he's not going to sue him or anything like that. No ill will towards him for the hit. Well, now I would file a defamation suit much like Antonio Brown is doing, which I'll get to a little bit later. But yes, I would file a defamation of character suit because now, whether it is true or not, there's no audio that we know of that they can find that will exonerate Mason Rudolph. So now what people are doing, it, now what Miles Garrett is doing is he is putting doubt in the people's minds as to whether or not Mason Rudolph is in fact a racist. And that is unfair and that is not right towards Mason Rudolph because this could follow him for the rest of his life. Big Ben Roethlisberger is going to come back next year. Mason Rudolph, for all we know, could be out of the NFL tomorrow. And then if he is trying to get a job elsewhere and he goes and he interviews and, you're, and it's like, oh, you're that guy who was involved in that thing with Miles Garrett and possibly you said a racial slur. Do I want that kind of person in my in this workplace environment with you know minority minority people and, and and just that whole mix? So so it even though it might not be true, you we don't know for sure and it puts doubt in people's minds like, "Oh, this guy, I got to watch out for him. He might be a racist. He might, you know, he might call me the N-word or something else." So yeah, it's a very touchy, touchy situation, and it's very, very bad. If Miles Garrett did in fact make this up, which is what it looks like, then I am sorry. He needs to be suspended these six games, including playoffs, and the entirety of next year, because that is disgraceful that you were going to stoop to that level to exonerate yourself or try to reduce your suspension because that's what he was trying to do that's ultimately his goal he went into this hearing and his goal and his objective is to get his suspension reduced he's appealing not the entirety of the six games but he is appealing the suspension to get reduced because a lot of times we will see these players appeal and their suspensions get reduced i'll uh you know i.e the uh you know marquise pouncey that that I just said, his was reduced from three to two games. So just wow, it is it is a whole 
big mess. And yeah, if I'm Mason Rudolph at this point, I need to come out. I need to make a statement, a big time bold statement and say that this is absolutely unacceptable. Um, Those that know me, know my character and know who I am. My teammates have defended me this entire time, as you can tell, and this is absolutely not true. And in response to Miles Garrett, I am going to file a countersuit against you because that is wrong for you to come after my character to try to save your own skin. So that is all I have to say about that, and we will move right along. The Colts, they played last night without running back Marlon Mack, who is out indefinitely with a broken hand. It's unfortunate because he is in a breakout campaign. Um, It it occurred uh, Sunday against the Jaguars. The injury is not thought to be season-ending, but he probably will miss a lot of time, a couple weeks, maybe three at minimum. Uh, He had 192 carries for 862 yards and was on pace for over 1,300 yards. And uh, I'll get into that game that they played last night in just a little bit. Odell Beckham Jr., he says that he's been unfairly targeted for PED testing, okay? This is interesting because he's not the only guy uh, voicing his opinion on this matter. He was randomly tested after this Thursday night game with the fight, you know, that took place. I know he was also a part of, you know, him and uh, Juice Jarvis Landry were told to change their cleats at the halftime of one of the games. He's been wearing the watch, you know, all these different things he's been involved in, okay, because he's a me, me, me guy, and it's all about him. So he said this direct quote, man, why don't you write a story about why the NFL is drug testing me after every game? This was uh, what he, he asked that to a reporter when he was being interviewed after the game. He then goes on to say, the NFL made me come in Monday when we had a day off Okay, had a drug test, made me come in Thursday after the game, had another drug test every week, twice a week. Nobody is getting tested like me. I know people who didn't get tested for five months in the offseason, and I'm getting tested every time. And guess what? Like I said, OBJ isn't the only one unhappy about being tested multiple times. Le'Veon Bell of my New York Jets, he tweeted out earlier this week, I done had five random HGH blood tests in 10 weeks at NFL. I'm not doing another after today. Whatever y'all looking for, it obviously ain't there. Then he goes on, he did go on to say, you know, stop sticking me with them dirty ass needles and all this other stuff. But here's the deal. I never believed that drug tests were in fact random at all. There are certain players that they go after. It is obvious. Okay, I think... Adam Vinatieri one time last year, he kicked like a 50-yard field goal, and he's like 46 years old, and immediately after the game, they're testing him in the locker room. But I do have some audio on Le'Veon Bell because he does voice his frustration, and I'm sorry, he has been an outstanding player and teammate this season, and he's been nothing but the best. He has not, you know, the Jets have been terrible. This season has been a joke, but he has maintained his cool. He's been level-headed, and he's just said, trust the process, and things, you know, will get better from here. And so I just think, you know, this is interesting. So here is the, um, here is the Le'Veon Bell, uh, piece on, on him talking to reporters about drug testing. But I'll be taking out on the drug test, even though it's not their fault, but it's like, I told y'all last time, I'm not trying to do this again. You know what I'm saying? Like, they used to be having to hear me, but I don't really be complaining too much. Um, until today, because I'm just like, bro, I'm going to play, we've been playing season for 10 weeks, and I got drug tested five times, HGH. So, on average, it's like once every two weeks, right? 
Y'all ain't found nothing. Every two weeks, y'all test me. Y'all found nothing, so we all looking. I'm not, I'm not doing it, though, man. I'm not taking no more. They're not getting no more of my blood. You better use the blood they got right now. I mean, at the end of the day, if we, if we had to cross that bridge, we would have to cross that bridge and get that. But I'm saying right now, so the way I felt today, my whole treatment out, that's how I felt. And I'm like, one, I don't like me, you know what I'm saying? So I, I know I understand I gotta do it for my job and whatever. So the first time we do it, I'm thinking like, okay, the testing is over, all that. I'm done with the needles. They do it again, I'm like, okay. Um, I get it, they do it twice, you know what I'm saying? I, I can do it twice. But now it's three, four, five times. Now it's just getting weird. It's getting weird now. Like, why are you this much more like, look? What do y'all with? Yeah, so he, he's got a point there because, I mean, at what point do you say enough is enough? I mean, this isn't a, a regular... Uh, you know, urine sample or a urine test. They are having to stick a needle in him to test him for PEDs, namely HGH. And this is something similar to what OBJ is going through. And he's been tested five times from what I read and looked into. You can be tested a maximum of six times in a season. And we are only through what, week 10, 11? I mean, we're going into, I think, week 12. Uh, this is, you know, this is ridiculous. Uh, that it's unacceptable if you ask me. Like I said, he has been nothing but a model citizen this entire season, and he's just trying to do his job. There's no reason. He's right. He's absolutely right. You get tested twice, and it comes back clear. Come on. I mean, the first time, yes, you test him. Boom, he's clean. Then the player might think, oh, I'm clean. They're not going to come back and test me. And then, you know, you you catch him the second time because they're not ready for it. But he's been clean every single time. And he did say he's not going to do it again and will cross that bridge uh, if it comes to that. So I, I don't know. I don't think that'll come. it'll come to that. But it's ridiculous. Spread this out a little bit. If you're really going to test them six times in a season, you got to spread this out a couple. Like it's literally an average of every other week. It's it's unbelievable. And I've always said this: players are not being randomly drug tested. It happened to Danny Green this week in the NBA. He had a monster uh, a slam, a monster dunk in the Lakers game, and he's not a guy that's known for dunking. Obviously, he's a three point basically specialist. But immediately after the game, he's being tested in the locker room. How can you justify that that's random? These leagues are basically laughing in the players' faces because it's it's anything but random, and we all see right through it. And a, there's nothing that anybody can can apparently do about it. And I think that something does need to be done about it because it isn't fair to the guys that are getting away with actually doing the PEDs and doing the HGH or doing the steroids. It's just, it's downright um, unfair, but I guess, you know, that's, that's the life we live. You know, I've always been told growing up by my parents, you know, life is unfair and then you die. So you make, you make of it what it is. So uh, yeah, that's that. But I thought that was interesting that I read three different players, you know, two in the NFL and then Danny Green getting, you know, unfairly tested and not too happy with, with, with those outcomes. So anyway, uh, let's talk, let's move on. Let's talk quickly about the Monday night football game between the Chiefs and the Chargers in Mexico City, in Mexico City at Estadio Azteca. Apparently the NFL did not learn from the disaster last year when Shakira tore up the field. They had to move the venue. This field was a disaster and I lost my fantasy matchup for the second straight week on a Monday night because Tyreek Hill got hurt on the second series of the game 
it's just ridiculous. He pulled up lame with a hamstring injury, and he was held out for the rest of the game, probably because it, you know, of the altitude and sort of things like that. And they're going into the bye week, and they didn't want to risk it. Well, it was a crap game. It was 10-9 at the half, even though the Chargers outgained the Chiefs by 203 yards. They were losing by one point at the half. Okay, Philip Rivers was an absolute joke. He looked like Joe Namath at. at, at at his current age, he looked totally washed up. He, I mean, I don't know how he's lasted in the league this long, to be quite honest. He throws like a girl. I, I guess it works. I mean, he found Hunter Henry a lot throughout the night, so that's a good thing for my fantasy team, but it just wasn't enough. He would have had to get me 35 points. He converted on the two-point conversion, Hunter Henry, but I mean, Phillip Rivers missed him, threw it 10 yards over his head in the end zone on one play. He was covered. I don't think he would have caught it, so that might have been on purpose, him just throwing it away. But despite all of that, um, the Chiefs looked good in the second half. Mahomes wasn't a world beater in this one. He was okay. But again, this was just the type of game it was. Okay. Um, so the, the Chiefs found themselves up. I think it was 20. I think they went up 24 to 9, actually. And then the, the Chargers came back. They got the two-point conversion, like I said, to Hunter Henry. And they found themselves down 24-17. They got the ball back. They were kind of in a desperate third and long from like maybe their 25-30. And Rivers just heaved one up, his best throw of the night. Mike Williams made a ridiculous catch along the sideline. They quickly got it down into the red zone. And you thought they might tie this thing. And I was praying because I was down like 20 points. And I'm thinking if this thing goes to overtime, maybe I have a chance. And then Phillip Rivers tries to throw one to Eckler down the sideline, and it was horrible. He never saw the safety, or I think it was the safety, just come underneath and, and just easily pick this one off. Safety or corner. And that was all she wrote, his fourth interception of the game. I tweeted out at halftime that if the Chargers want to win this game, they need to bench Phillip Rivers and put in Tyrod Taylor because Tyrod Taylor would have absolutely won them that game. He would have given them the boost that they needed in that situation. Not saying to bench Phillip Rivers for the rest of the season, but in that particular game, you could see the way it was trending and they were still in the game despite everything and despite all the interceptions and all they needed to do was just grow a pair and Anthony Lynn should have just pulled the trigger and put in Tyrod Taylor, his old quarterback from his Buffalo days, and and just rode with him the rest of the way, and they would have had a chance at an upset divisional uh, game. And that was the other team that I picked. I had the Jets, the Chiefs, the Jets, the Saints, and the Chiefs last week when I did the podcast. Those were the three teams I picked. Those weren't the teams that I ended up picking. I picked two out of three in my parlay, but would have been nice if I threw the Chiefs in there because they covered as well. But yeah, just a sloppy, sloppy game. And now uh, we're going to move on and talk about something that needs to be addressed. It's just absolutely disgusting, and there is no excuse for it. This guy needs to go to jail because he is a despicable human being. The Miami Dolphins running back, Mark Walton, that's who we are talking about with this story. He went from suspended to now being completely waived by the team. Dolphins GM Chris Greer said, we were made aware of a police matter earlier this morning regarding Mark Walton. We hold our players to a high standard and take these matters very seriously. We will have no further comment at this time. So basically, Mark Walton was arrested early Tuesday morning and was being accused of punching a woman several times in the face and head. Well, it gets even better. This woman 
five weeks pregnant with Walton's child. So my guess is he was either wasted or had a little bit too much to drink or they got in an argument over the fact that she just dropped the bombshell on him that she was pregnant with his baby. And he was like, oh, snap, I ain't having none of this. And so he's like, you best get an abortion. And she was probably like, oh, no, I just trapped you. And now you're going to have to pay me for 18 years in child support and I'm going to make all this money and I'm not going to have to work a day in my life because that's what these women's do. That's what women's, that's what these women do. They trap these star players. I think it wasn't it Paul George uh, in Miami one time. I, I'm pretty sure he got a stripper pregnant and he tried to pay her off and it didn't work. And now he's stuck paying child support probably for 18 years. So yeah, this is what happens. And you know, if you don't like it, you don't like it. That's her body, her choice. And if she wants an abortion, she could get an abortion. If she wants to keep the child, she's going to keep the child and that's your child as well. So yeah, he wasn't having none of it. So he's like, oh, I guess I'll, I'll give her my own abortion. And he starts wailing on her, which is disgraceful, despicable, disgusting, and just no place for it in this world whatsoever. Because men are, especially an NFL player, I mean, do you realize the damage you could do to a to a woman that's probably a buck ten, a buck fifteen, a buck twenty? You could kill her, let alone kill her baby, which is also your baby, which is the worst part about it. I mean, it's a different story if you know she went out and got pregnant by a different guy. I'm not justif- not justifying. I, I when I say different story, I mean it's a different set of circumstances surrounding the case, not the situation, not that he's, you know, that justifies him being able to hit her or anything, but it would be a little bit different, but that's not even what happened for him to fly off the handles like that. So I don't know, you know, we don't know exactly what happened. This just happened. You know, this just took place on Tuesday, but he went from suspended to now not having a team. So now she's going to get him for everything he's got. Cause if he don't make it back to the NFL, that money is going to go right quick down the toilet to her. So, uh, yeah, just horrible. So uh, also, this is no stranger to uh, law enforcement, you know, to run-ins with the law. He was arrested three times last offseason on numerous charges. So keep that in mind as well. And this is getting totally out of hand as long as this uh, segment is. We were doing pretty good on time, but now we're probably right around the hour mark. So we'll uh, speed this thing up. The last couple things I want to talk about is... A situation with Antonio Brown. He just cannot help himself. Back in the spotlight, he tweeted this earlier in the week. He said, Mr. Kraft, I apologize sincerely to you and your organization. All I wanted to be was an asset to the organization. Sorry for the bad media and the drama. Thank you sincerely, AB. Here's the problem. I have no idea why he did this now. Um, I think he had a productive meeting with the NFL maybe last week or this week or, or he's got one coming up. I don't know. But if this was if this was sincere and this was truly from the heart, um, then he wouldn't have put it on social media for the world to see. This was just a public publicity stunt to try to trick everybody into believing that he is a change man and that he is going to uh, be a better person. And he just, no, he just wants a job. He wants back in the league. Uh, and, and that's what it comes down to. And so, um, with that being said, he also, um, 
filed a countersuit against his former trainer, Brittany Taylor, saying her rape allegations are false and defamatory. And then the uh, Patriots did come out and say, there's no way uh, Antonio Brown will be a part of this team. We are moving on. They didn't say it in those exact words, but basically they are moving on from Antonio Brown. So he will, if he plays again in the NFL, it will not be for the uh, New England Patriots. Okay, now for the big er story. This was the second of the big stories, and that is Colin Kaepernick. So when I got off the air last Saturday, Colin Kaepernick was scheduled to to throw at the um, Atlanta Falcons practice facility, and he was going to do so in front of about 24 or 25 teams. Well, about an hour before this was supposed to happen, Colin Kaepernick's representatives or people, they informed the league that he was not signing that waiver form that was required of him in the event that he got hurt, then he would not be eligible to, you know, come after the league or try to sue them for injuries and damages and what all that good stuff. So they thought some of the language, his, you know, his lawyers and whatnot wouldn't let him sign the waiver because they felt some of the language in it was unfair and it it wasn't right. Whatever. I don't know the legal ramifications behind this waiver. I was I heard the entire week, basically, that this waiver form was a standard waiver form that any player coming in for a tryout or like a pro day has to sign in order, you know, for the league to protect themselves. Okay, so that's the first thing. If that was the case, why didn't they tell the league? You, you know, we do not feel that this, 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 and this, these couple of items on this waiver are fair and we have concerns over this. So can we, can we kind of, you know, push this thing back a little bit and and kind of get, get together and try to come to some sort of compromise with this waiver, maybe amend it a little bit and come to some clear, concise understanding. And then we will just reschedule this tryout, if you will, for another day and the and that's not what happened. They they basically tried to steamroll the NFL and said, oh, no, 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 we're not signing this waiver, but we're just going to hold our own workout at a high school of a prominent, that's named after a prominent black um, doctor. So that's the first thing, Colin Kaepernick making statement number one. Statement number two is, okay, this didn't take place until about 530 because it was 60 miles away from the original facility. Only eight teams showed up, and Colin Kaepernick showed up in his giant-ass afro along with a... A t-shirt that said Kunta Kinte, which if you don't know, Kunta Kinte is a fictional character from the show or whatever movie, Roots. Um, it was an HBO series, I believe. And it was a, he was a slave. So basically, Colin Kaepernick is going to a job interview calling all of the owners slave owners. I mean, it, it's an absolute joke. And you would never do that in a, in a real job interview. And it just did not go down well. And it proved to me that he is a charade and he is a clown show looking for attention. I cannot reiterate this enough. Colin Kaepernick, you are half white, okay? And you were raised by an entirely white family. Where is the black oppression in your life? This was never an issue until you were an afterthought on the 49ers and you were a backup that was totally and utterly irrelevant. And if you watched, if you really watched his football talent on that field, on that high school field, I must say he did not look great, people. 
I mean, his throws kind of floated. He was a little behind the receivers. I mean, it wasn't great. You're not going to really judge from, from you know, what we saw on that field. It's kind of hard to tell how he would, you know, look in, in um, you know, in a live game action or kind of, you know, a practice with an actual NFL team. But yeah, it's just a horrible, horrible, horrible look. And he's been getting ripped by a number of prominent black people. I heard Jay-Z was was actually upset with him about this. So just a whole lot going on here that you have to take into account. And um, I'm going to play a, a, uh, a clip from Stephen A because he got heated on this situation and, and he took a lot uh, of flack for this from, from a lot of people. But it, mostly uh, Terrell Owens was on first take and, and came at him a lot. But this is uh, Stephen A uh, in that episode with T.O. defending himself and explaining why he is upset as much as he is. Y'all are not hearing me correctly. It's not that I'm taking the NFL side. It's that I was communicating with Kaepernick's people leading up to the workout. And their actions were not consistent with what they had been telling me they wanted for two months. That is what everybody's missing. If T.O. hypothetically sat up there and said, Stephen A., I, want to, I, I just want to get back in the NFL. Stephen A., come, come on, man. He did, you, you know, I did this for us, man. The fight that I fought. You know it ain't right that I'm being blackballed, et cetera, et cetera. Will you help me? And I am helping you. And others are helping you. And it leads to 25 different teams willing to come see you work out when you said all you wanted was one call. And then you don't show up. I'm looking at it from the standpoint, no, it's not idealistic. No, it's not fair. Obviously, it's some stuff they might try to slide in. I don't know. I don't care. Because at the end of the day, you're saying you want to work out for a team. You want to showcase yourself, and 25 of them showed up. Is it perfect? Is it perfectly set up? Probably not. But that's not what you said leading up to the workout. So every, it's not about me taking the NFL. Forget the NFL's word. Forget the liability waiver. It's what you have been saying spanning months, and I have text messages to prove it. That was inconsistent with what happened Saturday. Okay. Now, hold on. Please, I apologize. Go ahead. Please. Go ahead. Now back to you, T.O. So, yeah, I don't know what your response to that would be to try to now defend Colin Kaepernick at this point. Stephen A. said, Mike, drop. He's been in communicado with his people, and everything that he was told leading up was a complete farce. So they played they basically played Stephen A and made him think and made him go on national television every day and say it was going to be this. Stephen A said he thinks he'll be signed within two weeks after this workout and all this BS. And they played him and he is downright pissed off because he realizes this is all a ploy. It's all a publicity stunt. And how dare his lawyer, Colin Kaepernick's lawyer, I, I believe it was, went on the Adam Carolla podcast and he had the nerve to say that he spoke to a scout that was there because only eight showed up. Only eight teams showed up. The Jets were one of them. I can confirm that much. I don't know why that those idiots would show up there, but that's beside the point. But he goes on the Adam Carolla podcast and he says, "Oh, there was a there was a scout or somebody from one of the teams that said, uh, you know." He could start for 24 teams in the NFL right now. Are you kidding me? That is an absolute utter lie. 
Nobody in their right mind said that. And if there was actually a scout or somebody from a team that said that, he'd be fired immediately. He wouldn't even have a job in this league. So that's just a complete joke that he tried to say something so, so pathetic. This is this is just, they're, they're trying to spread lies. They're trying to push their agenda. Colin Kaepernick does not want to play in this league because if he was desperate enough to play in this league, like, uh, an actual, you know, a, a black person who, you know, um, it would love an NFL salary. I mean, do you know how many people there are? Great, he stood up for the cause and everything, and I'm not going to discredit that. And I'm not saying he's not black by any stretch of the imagination, because obviously he is, you know, half black or, or maybe even more than that. Uh, I could be very ignorant on this subject, but I know he is partially white and he was raised by a white family. But listen. It is beyond the protest. It is beyond the stance. It is beyond all of that. He did all that, and he did, you know, he did his uh, protesting to basically stand up to the black oppression, you know, the the by police officers and white police officers shooting all these black unarmed kids and teenagers and all that. And but but he takes it too far, and it's like we're over it now. We get it. We got your point. Your point was proven. You sued the NFL and you won the lawsuit already, and you got your payday. I don't get what more he wants. He just takes it too far. He then wears the Kunta Kinte shirt. He holds it at a uh, a school of a prominent black you know doctor. All these little signs that he does. You know he wore the Fidel Castro socks and just so much stuff that he does. He makes himself look like he he wants to be a martyr, just as Stephen A. said. He does not want to play in the NFL, and it's exactly why no team wants this clown show around. They don't want the distraction. And he, he's not good enough to warrant it. This isn't Michael Vick coming out of prison from abusing dogs in his dog fighting rink. This is not that. Michael Vick was a much better player, and he proved it when he came back, and he has been the ultimate, you know, citizen since going to prison and he's now on Fox and he reports on the NFL and, and he's turned his life around. But Colin Kaepernick continues to push this agenda and if he 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 will not get himself in the NFL ultimately because him he himself doesn't want to be in the NFL. He's keeping himself away from the NFL. So yeah, with that I don't want to beat it into, you know, into your chest here because we're almost like 45 minutes into this segment. It's getting we're over 45 into this segment, but uh I'm just going to quickly finish this up. We had the Thursday night game uh last night and it was a dud. My stupid self decided last minute to put in T.Y. Hilton because he was active after missing the last couple games. He did absolutely nothing for me. He was barely on the field. I kept seeing him on the sideline jogging like, oh, I'm ready to go in, coach. Put me in, coach. And there was two big plays that he dropped the ball. They were tough con- contested uh, passes. But if you ask him, I'm sure he would have said that he would have definitely caught them. They were on two key third downs. So the ulti- ultimately, the Texans win this one 20-17. It was a tough AFC South matchup. Texans now on top of that division. Okay. And, um, there was a play in this game. I wish I had the audio. I totally forgot about it till just before at the end of the game, Deshaun Watson, uh, had QB option and he held on to the ball and he was running towards the first down marker. He came up about a couple yards short. He absolutely fumbled the ball right into the defender's hands. They tried to quickly hike the the, the ball on the next play, but they did go to a review. And unbelievably enough, because the NFL 
officials can't look any worse than they already do because they look worse and worse every single time. They said that it wasn't clear and definitive recovery and that he didn't fumble the ball and they gave it back to the uh, to the to the Texans up by 3 and that was basically all she wrote and then on the last play Deshaun Jackson dropped back and he just heaved the ball up out of the end zone to expire the clock and they won there but just that was a bad look the Colts got jobbed in that one okay um I talked about Colin Kaepernick now real quick let's just preview week 12 there's a couple games that I like the big games you got of course the 49ers and the Packers uh, okay, of course, these are. this is the last week before the Thanksgiving games because Thanksgiving is next Thursday. We've got the Ravens and the Rams on Monday night. Though I wouldn't touch any of those two games. Those are tough. You've also got the Patriots hosting the Cowboys. These are three, like, marquee, marquee matchups, awesome games. Okay, you've got my Jets hosting the Oakland Raiders. The Raiders coming all the way from the West Coast are three-point favorites. I'm leaning towards taking my Jets at home in this one. I really would like to see if the Jets... Jets are uh, pretenders or contenders in the sense that, you know, they maybe are, are, are closer to the team that we thought they were going to be at the beginning of the year. We'll see if they could build on their two-game winning streak. Then you've got um, you've got the Bills hosting the Broncos. They're three-and-a-half-point favorites. To me, this is the lock of the week. That is the best bet, in my opinion. I would take Buffalo at minus three-and-a-half. You've got the Bears hosting the New York Giants. Okay, this uh, is an interesting game. Another couple of uh, teams that are, I mean, the Giants are on, what, a six-game losing streak, so this is a rough one. The Bears are desperate for a win if they want to keep any playoff hopes alive. They announced Mitchell Trubisky will start in this one. He was removed late in the fourth quarter uh, of their previous game uh, for what was deemed a hip injury, but he will start in that game if, you know, for whatever that's worth. Uh, You've got the Steelers and Bengals. Not too many games that I really, really like. Uh, To be honest, I do actually like the Eagles are hosting the Seahawks. They're just one-point favorites, which would suggest that the books, that, you know, the sports books are leaning towards the Seahawks at plus one. So, yeah, I would take the Seahawks at plus one. There's not too, too many games that I would bet on here. Um... So yeah, that that's gonna wrap this thing up, guys. Uh, spent a little bit too 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 long on this segment, if you will. Um, I don't even know how long this final episode's gonna be, but we're not done yet. I've got to talk some NBA, some Major League Baseball, really quickly, and then of course we'll finish up with on this date in sports. So uh, we'll be right back, and we'll dive right into it. Okay, guys, we're back. I'm promising you that I will get you guys out of here within the next 10, 15 minutes. I don't want this to be too long. I think we're close to the hour and a half mark. So we're going to dive right in to the NBA, and we're going to talk first with Ben Simmons. So for the rest of the season and the foreseeable future, I'm hoping we don't have to talk about Ben Simmons ever again because he finally did what he has not been able to do for his entire career. He did it in the preseason, but obviously that doesn't count. He finally, finally, finally made his first career three-pointer. So take a listen to what this sounds like because this is so pathetic that we have to highlight the fact that an NBA player made his, his first career three in what is fourth season. So here it is. It's Randall on the screen, excuse me. Nilakina, a below-average three-point shooter. There's Simmons! Yes! He did it! Ben Simmons! Yeah, there it was. Uh, They did it in a 
game against the Knicks in which they saw themselves down 17 points. The Knicks absolutely imploded and ended up losing this game. Uh, shocker, right? But uh, so yeah, Ben Simmons with his first career three-pointer. And then uh, let's talk about Luka Doncic for a second. He has had a stretch of a couple games that has been just out of this world amazing. Let's start with the fact that on two, uh, Monday and then Wednesday, he had back-to-back 35-point triple doubles at 20 years, 265 days old. He is the youngest player with consecutive 35-point triple doubles. Oscar Robertson was the previous youngest at 22 years, 34 days old in December of 1960. Obviously, it was a different sport back then. He, uh, like I said, he did this on Monday against the Spurs and then Wednesday against the Warriors in a 48-point blowout loss. The Warriors are so bad right now that it is just hard to even fathom. I, I think that they are, I mean, they, we all know they're in full tank mode, but they have a, I believe, a worse record than the New York Knicks. I believe they are 3-11, and 3-13, and 13, excuse me, and the New York Knicks are 4-11. and 11. You know it's going bad when you have a worse record than the New York Knicks. Sorry, Knicks fans, but you're just not very good. They also have a worse record than the Hawks, the Detroit uh, Pistons and the Cleveland Cavaliers there. Uh, just, oof, just bad. Um, yeah, they are the worst team in the NBA right now by a couple games, actually. So, yeah, um, that is the baddest man in the NBA right now, and he's not even of legal drinking age. It's Luka Doncic. I mean, he has done some amazing stuff. Look at some of these stats. Ready? Okay. He... Is he has reached 300 points, 100 rebounds, and 100 assists over his last 10 games, making him the fifth player in NBA history to average a 30-point triple-double over any 10-game span. He is also the first player to outscore, out-rebound, and out-assist a team in a quarter since Allen Iverson on February 19th, 2003 against the Bulls. He did this to the Warriors in the first quarter the other night. I have some audio of Luka Doncic after the game talking about that first quarter. Oh, excuse me. Sorry, wrong one. What's going on in your mind as all those shots were dropping for you? Uh, today in the, when I slept, uh, the net, I dreamed like I was going to score 16 in the first quarter, so then I scored 17, so I was like, dreams don't come true. But no, I mean, amazing win. Uh, great effort, great defense, and just amazing. All right. And... That second triple-double he had against the Warriors, he is the youngest player ever. Um, Well, excuse me. He set the, I believe he set the minutes record for quickest to a triple-double in NBA history. Uh, 25 minutes, I think it was. He didn't play the any of the fourth quarter, just an unbelievable player. He's also the only player with 30 with thirty points and five assists on 90% shooting and a half over the last 20 seasons. He's doing some LeBron-like stuff. I mean, he is the next generation of talent. And, and this Dallas Mavericks team, pair him alongside Kristaps Porzingis, this team could be pretty good, you know, um, for a long time. So yeah, it's just, it's unbelievable to watch him play and it's really a, a treasure. Um, I wish he was on my team for sure. Okay, uh, moving right along, Carmelo Anthony. He finally made his debut over the weekend um, or this week, I, I can't remember. He made his debut this week 
for the Portland Trailblazers. Of course, they're very banged up. They came in when they signed him. They were like 5-10. and 10. Damian Lillard has been hurt, so they immediately, Terry Stotts inserted him into the starting lineup. He played 20 minutes, and this was his first basket. I don't know where the enthusiasm was on the call here, but it wasn't great. A lot of time to detach from it to get back to this point right here. There he is, stepping up and knocking down a triple. Yeah, his first uh, points in over a year, and uh, he was 4 of 14 shooting. I believe that was his third worst performance of his career, like minus 30-plus when he was on the court, and they lost. Uh, He played again last night. Uh, He scored 10 points in that first game, played again last night. He did a little bit better. Uh, I want to say he had, I think he had, wow, I'm drawing a blank. I'm pretty sure that he had like um, 18 points or something to that effect. They did lose again to the Bucs, 137-129. And one thing I will say about the NBA this season is that there has been zero, zero, zero defense. Uh, I mean, Giannis had a a triple-double for the ages last night. Yeah, Carmelo Anthony had 18 points. Uh, So, yeah. They, but they lost. He played 28 minutes, which, you know, that's not bad for him. Uh, I guess they're not easing him into the lineup by any stretch of the imagination. So uh, what I wanted to mention, one thing, quick thing about Giannis, because this just made me think of it. He had his second triple-double this season in his 16th of his career. Entering uh, last night, the Bucks were 13-2 and two when Giannis recorded a triple-double, and he is the first Bucks player ever to have at least 20 points, 15 rebounds, and 15 assists in a game. Yeah, not great considering I played him in fantasy last night and this entire week. Okay, guys, uh, with that being said, we're not going to take any breaks. We're going to transition this right into the uh, Major League Baseball. There's not too much going on, but uh, one quick thing I will say is that Yasmani Grandal, he just inked a new deal with the... um, with the Chicago White Sox, the catcher formerly of the, I want to say, Milwaukee Brewers, I believe. Uh, so yeah, he that deal is for uh, five, four years, I believe. Let me see here. If yeah, four years, seventy-three million dollars. He will receive over eighteen million a year. Yeah, Grandal is consistently considered one of the most productive catchers in the game. If you watch baseball, you know who he is. He hit a career-best 28 home runs and batted 246 last season for the Brewers. Just a solid, one of the better hitting catchers, okay? Um, so, yeah, he signs with the White Sox. You know, they're they're a young team trying to rebuild, okay? He's an excellent pitch framer. That's what a lot of these analytic-type guys look for in catchers, you know, the the pitch-framing ability to get those extra called strikes. So, yeah, good good signing for the uh, White Sox there. And then, real quick, I found out news about Didi Gregorius. If the Yankees are going to re-sign him, they are going to need to sign him to a multi-year deal, obviously, but the market is going to have to be... Uh, very soft on him. There's going to really have to be no market on him. And no surprise, the news comes out today that the Phillies, led by their new manager, Joe Girardi, who used to manage Didi with the Yankees, obviously, they've come out and say that they are very interested in Didi and they would move Gene Segura to a different position or get rid of him and trade him if they had to. So that does not look good if you are a Yankee fan hoping that they would re-sign uh, Didi Gregorius. And then the last thing I wanted to just touch on is the whole um, 
you know, the whole uh, sign stealing uh, gate or whatever you want to call it with the Houston Astros, Rob Manfred at the owners meetings. I think it was going on this week. He did come out publicly and say that they are going to um, leave no stone unturned and they are going to now probe into not just 2017, but they're going to go and look into 2018 and 2019 because the work that they, that these people on Twitter have been doing with the John boys and, and such and, you know, unveiling and, uh, and finding this footage uh, of, you know, the tunnel, there is footage of the, uh, dugout tunnel leading into the clubhouse. And you could see somebody setting up a monitor with two laptops. You could then see the laptop, uh, the laptops and monitor sitting there as the team is walking past and a whole bunch of uh, empty sunflower seed shells on the ground, meaning someone sat there for an extended period of time, four-hour game, and was relaying signs and stealing them and such. So it does not look good for them, but they are going to now go in and look at both 20, excuse me, 2018 and 2019. So that's big news coming there out of the uh, baseball world. And then finally, let's talk about our final segment of the day. Oh, years ago we talked. To- oh, excuse me, sorry. I that's twice. I'm I'm losing my mind. I've been sitting in this chair for too long. But let's talk about the fact that uh, we are finally on the final segment of the show, and that is on this date in sports. And we can take it all the way back to November twenty second, twenty twelve, Thanksgiving night better known as the uh, butt fumble, one of the worst days in my Jets fandom ever. I will tell you a quick story about that, and then I will leave you with the call on the butt fumble and let you guys go and be on your way and have your weekend and have a nice Thanksgiving. But here it goes. So I used to work for a company called Anderson Merchandisers. It was a merchandising company that we worked in Best Buy, and it was an awesome job while I was in college. I would you know, go early in the morning at like 6 a.m. before the store opened. And I, you know, I really didn't get bothered by any of the employees at Best Buy too much because I was like my own company, you know, worked for a different company. I had bosses, but nobody was really usually there. So I just could do my own thing. I could put some headphones in, listen to my music and basically set up the displays or put out the new movies or the new music and and switch out the price tags each week for the new sales and whatnot. So it was really cool job. I do that like part-time, like I think it was like six to 11 or sometimes till 12. And then I would just head over to, to, to school, to college. And it was an awesome job I had for a bunch of years. And, um, so I had to go work that work that night after the jet game on Thanksgiving, which was turning into black Friday. So I decided to pull an all nighter and stay up and watch the jet game and then go into work. It was a disastrous idea because I thought the jets actually had a chance in that game. And yeah, not only did they not have a chance, the butt fumble happened that went and lived on in infamy and will continue to live on in sports lore forever and ever. So with that being said, guys, I hope you enjoyed this episode, episode 76. Please subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Make sure you go and uh, subscribe to the Glorious House of Gains podcast as well. I hope you guys have a good evening and a good weekend. Um, Yeah, real quick, what's on this weekend? We've got, like I said, college game day, Saturday at nine. They'll be on set for, you know, the... um, Excuse me, they'll talk about all the marquee matchups, including the Penn State 
and Ohio State game. You had the uh, a, a doubleheader tonight in the NBA. It's almost uh, it's after nine o'clock, so you missed the Spurs Sixers game, and then you have the Rockets at the Clippers. You've got um, Wilder versus Ortiz tomorrow night. That's a pay per view matchup. Uh, yes, yeah, so and then you got the college football playoff on Tuesday, and like I said, Thursday is Thanksgiving. So I hope everybody has a happy, healthy Thanksgiving, and I will see you next week. I will probably have another episode up on Friday. For those of you looking for the Glorious House of Gains podcast, you can catch us. I believe we're going to do an episode, excuse me, on Wednesday because Thursday is not a viable option being that it is Thanksgiving. So you could look for us on Wednesday. Okay. That should be up around 11, 1130 PM on Eastern. And if you are looking for the live stream, cause we do do a live YouTube live stream of the glorious house of Gains podcast. You could catch that at about eight 30. Look for the, you know, you could subscribe to uh, the Robert Frank six one five channel and you will get a notification when we go live, but it's usually about eight 30. So keep an eye out for that. We welcome all of those, uh, YouTube live listeners. So with that being said, guys, have a good weekend. And here is the, uh, butt fumble. Well, years ago, we talked to Tom Moore, then at Indianapolis, the offensive coordinator. You got a busted play here, and then oh, no. Evans, Sanchez gets hit. The ball is loose, and it's alive. I have never seen this before in my life. Watch this. Vince Wilfork is going to throw Brandon Moore back into his quarterback. He's going to fumble the football. This is what Reggie White used to do to people: forklift them and just lift them off the ground. Mark Sanchez not expecting it, and it was the backside of Brandon Moore that knocked the ball out.